Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Let's kick it off. Welcome to City Church. My name is Drake. Ethan was taller than that tank was, so uh, he's going to have a nice knot on his head afterward. That'll be great. Um, Hey, so really glad you're here. Welcome to City Church. How you guys doing? Uh, This is not perspiration, I promise. I apologize for the, uh, the little chilly, you know, ness of the morning. Our, our heater decided not to work today, so um, you get to enjoy yourself and penguins today as we gather, okay? Uh, my name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to have you gathering with us today. And uh, listen, if you're a first-time guest with us, so glad that you're here. And uh, listen, no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. Our mission here at City Church is to help people find their way to God from where they are, so that means no matter where you are, our desire is simply to meet you where you are, help you take some next steps in your faith journey, whatever that might mean for you. So really, really excited to gather with you and to celebrate today. And so listen, I don't know where you're walking in today. I don't know maybe your individual spiritual journey. Um, I don't even know how familiar you are with the kind of Easter story. So what I want to do is I want to take you back to the very first Easter weekend. So just kind of go with me in your imagination to the very first Easter week- weekend. And I just want to take a moment to kind of describe what we find. So if you play this scene back, and if you don't know the Easter story, then I'm going to catch you up. But what we find in the very first Easter weekend is this disruptive rabbi from the middle of nowhere, kind of the armpit of the Roman Empire, this guy named Jesus from nowhere. And as the events of Easter weekend kick off, we see this disruptive middle of nowhere, nobody's ever heard of him, rabbi named Jesus being crucified. We, we, we see a lot of disillusioned followers. We see corrupt religious leaders. We see a heartless Roman government. We see a broken-hearted mother as Jesus and uh, his, some of his followers kind of stood around and watched the events while others abandoned and totally fled and There's a lot of disillusionment and confusion. And what I also want you to note on that first Easter weekend, there's a few things we don't find. We don't find a Savior. We don't don't see a Son of God. We don't see believers. We don't see a church. We don't see hope at all because everyone is in utter disbelief and shock as the events of Easter weekend roll around. Because when Jesus died, hope died with him. There were no Christians. There was no church. There were no followers. There were no Christians because at this point in time, everyone's assumption was there was no Christ. Jesus clearly wasn't who he said he was. Everything they thought about Jesus up to this point is completely wrong because there he is hanging on a cross, dead and then buried, and all hope is 
lost. It's really important that you and I kind of wrestle with some of the historical realities of the story of Easter weekend because no one was planning to keep the dream alive. No one was planning to keep the movement moving because if Jesus couldn't keep himself alive, then there's definitely no point in keeping the Jesus movement alive. Jesus clearly wasn't who he claimed to be, so let's all go home. In fact, for a lot of them, they were so scared and disillusioned because now if, if they could take out Jesus, they could take, take out anyone associated with him. And so you might not know this, but as we consider the, the, the Easter story this morning, up to the, the, the point of the events of Easter weekend, the driving force of this movement and these followers around Jesus was not his teachings. And, and like sometimes Jesus had some really good teachings and sometimes his teachings were totally bizarre. So the, 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 the kind of the force behind Jesus following was not what he taught, but who he claimed to be. Meaning, think about this. Just imagine if this is kind of movement starting stuff. Jesus is like, hey, pay your taxes. Yeah, like that'll start a movement. Hey, pray for your enemies. I mean, I was going to do that anyway, so that's wonderful. Hey, forgive people regardless of what they've done to you. Yep, I mean, that's already on the to-do for Monday, so that's wonderful. Hey, uh, eat my blood and drink my flesh. You know what? That one's a little weird, Jesus. We're just going to pretend like that one didn't happen. And so we have these moments over and over again where people were following Jesus, sometimes in spite of what he taught. And so you've got to ask the question, what was going on? They weren't following him necessarily because of what he taught, while there were some great things and some confusing things. They were following him because of who he claimed to be. And, and, and Jesus would invite people to trust in him and who he claimed to be. Who Jesus claimed to be was the center point of this following around him. And Jesus would say things like this, and this is what ultimately would have him murdered on a cross, both by his fellow Jews and the Roman government. He would say, hey, if you want to know what God looks like, look at me. He says, when you've seen me, you've seen God the Father. You want to know how God feels about you? Look at me. And ultimately, that would be what drives those around him to crucify him. And so for a little while, they believed that this is who Jesus was until now. And now he's hanging on a cross, and now they were clearly wrong. And when Jesus dies, friends, when Jesus dies, everyone around him expects Jesus to do what dead people do, and that's stay dead. That, that's, that's the only assumption in the moments of Easter weekend. On Easter morning, listen, I know maybe for you, you're gathering and there's a lot of celebration today, but that first Easter weekend, as Sunday rolls around, you don't have all the disciples gathered around the tomb with their pom-poms and some horns counting down from 10 as the sun rises, 10, 9, 8, here he comes. None of that. Because Jesus is dead and hope is gone. There's no Christians, there's no church, there's no movement, there's no Bible, and there's definitely no hope. So take the events of Easter weekend, and I want you to just fast forward with me in your imagination to AD 380, which I know you, you know exactly when that is. So like, let's just go there. February 27th, AD 380, where the Roman emperors, this is roughly 300 years after Jesus' death and burial, roughly 300 years later, the Roman emperor starts a new law where Christianity becomes the official religion of the entire Roman Empire. Okay, so fast forward 300 years, 
And all of a sudden, the same Roman government that killed this troublesome rabbi from the armpit of the Roman Empire is now switching everything up, and this same guy, they are now convinced, is God in a bod, and they make him, they, they, they not only claim that he is God, but make Christianity the official religion, not, not a part of, listen, prior to this, there was a pantheon of gods in the Roman Empire, right? Jesus becomes the central point, the one true God, the focal point of the Roman Empire that does away with all the pantheon of gods in the Roman Empire up to this point. And you've got to look 300 years later and like, what's up with that? How did you go from killing the dude, plus a bunch of his other friends killing him too, to now, now he's the central focus point, you're convinced he's God? That's a little odd. Now fast forward to March 9th, 2023. You're like, when is that? That's today. Welcome to, you're here, you made it. Where the Roman Empire is gone, but you can visit Rome. And if you go to the city of Rome, you're going to see crosses everywhere. And what's really interesting today is that the cross today no longer represents shame and terror and punishment and oblivion, which was the total point of it from the Roman government when Jesus was crucified. But today, the cross represents something very different. Love and hope and compassion. And, and I just want you to play this thought forward with me. If, if that's all that you knew, if all you knew, that there was this guy named Jesus, troublesome rabbi, crucified for who he claimed to be, a couple hundred years later, considered to be God himself by the very empire that had him murdered, and now today, hundreds of millions of people all over the world gather on a day like today to worship that same rabbi, which, by the way, all, all of this is historically indisputable. So it's really important. We're not talking about grandma says or the Bible says. We're talking about historical accuracy throughout the course of human history that scholars on both pendulums of belief systems agree on. If that's all that you knew, then the question you probably should be asking that I would be asking that I hope all of us are considering today is what happened? Like, what what happened to go from Jesus on a cross to those types of events? And again, we're not asking what does the Bible say. It's actually really important. If you and I hinge everything we know about Jesus on the Bible says, well, there wasn't a, a Bible to say anything for a couple hundred years after Jesus and his death, burial, and sneak peek, there's something coming. There wasn't a Bible for a couple hundred years. So, so if the entire Christian movement, if all of the Jesus followers on the planet, if every part of church history throughout the last 2,000 years is hinging on the Bible says, then there wasn't a single Jesus follower until like 400 AD. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't add up. So something must have happened, right? Not what does grandma say, not what does the Bible say, but what happened? And listen, that what happened, that something is why we're here today. Because this, this very dead Jesus was soon seen alive again. 
And so you and I, we know about the resurrection, and I use that word very intentionally. We know as in historical accuracy. We know about the resurrection, not because your grandma said, or because the Bible says. We know about the resurrection because of eyewitness historical accounts of the people around him who were believing in Jesus, unbelieved in Jesus, rejected they ever even knew Jesus, and then re-believed in Jesus, okay? And so let me just share a few. There's a guy named Matthew who was one of Jesus' closest followers. He was there. He saw it all. He unbelieved. He ran away. And we have his eyewitness accounts. He doesn't write himself as a hero into the story, but as someone who totally disbelieved. We have guys like Mark, who got his info from Peter, which was like one of his closest guys and also just kind of a crazy dude who was all in at some points and then like cursing and using profanities to make sure people did not give him credit for being a Jesus follower. And then we have guys like Dr. Luke. Luke, the doctor who thoroughly investigated all accounts around the life of Jesus to put together a proper account for us. We have guys like John, who is Jesus' best and closest friend, who also totally abandoned Jesus. I'm pretty sure there's an account where the dude like runs away, away naked in shame. Like, so I don't know how that, I don't know where his clothes went or anything like that, but that's in there. I'm just saying, if you're the hero of the story, you don't record that part. Like, no, no. And this, uh, never mind, we're just not going to go there. All right, we have Peter. We have Peter, who is just the, the, the best kind of tongue-in-cheek, like, all the time. Like, he's so for Jesus and so bold and so amazing. And then he's, like, running away and hiding like a little girl, okay? So, actually, if you're a little girl, you're awesome. So, that's derogatory. I apologize. <laughs> hiding like when I'm really scared, too, okay? Uh, hiding like Peter. Okay, there you go. Just dig myself out of that hole. All right, and then we have James. James the brother of Jesus. These are historical accounts of people who said that Jesus was absolutely dead, and then they saw him resurrected from the grave, and he was who he indeed said he was. James, the brother of Jesus, who thought his brother was crazy pre the cross. And probably when Jesus was hanging on the cross, said, see, Man, I told you. Was utterly convinced that his brother was just nuts. Tried with the rest of his family to check him into a mental hospital. And then later, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, became a follower of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus, would then call his brother God. Now, I don't know about you, but me convincing my brother that I'm God <laughs> has not worked yet, okay? And so that one is a stretch. And then there's this guy named Paul. Paul, who is just, man, it's amazing because he hates Jesus. He hates Christians. He's doing everything he can to shut down the Jesus movement and the church. And then he is convinced he runs into Jesus resurrected from the, from the grave, becomes from the greatest opponent to Christianity, to one of the four most proponents leading the Jesus movement, writing over a third of the New Testament in our scriptures that we have today, that guy Paul. We know about the resurrection because of these eyewitnesses. So it's, it's, it's not a house of cards. It's not believing really hard in something that you hope is true when life gets difficult. It's way better than that. Let me take you to the, to the story in John 20. Now, John is one of Jesus' best and closest friends, and he kind of records the weekend's events. I just want, to kind of, I want you to check out what's going on. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' close followers, went to the tomb. They were going to prepare his body for burial because he was really, really dead. 
and the events of the weekend happened so quickly that his, his body was not properly cared for. So she's going to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Jesus was in this massive tomb with a giant stone. There were guards placed in front of it so no one could steal the body. And so she came running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. This is kind of comical. This is John's account, like his own personal account. And he just kind of includes in there, oh, by the way, the one who Jesus loved, you know, that's me, just in case you're wondering. That's, so he doesn't even say his name. He's like, oh, you know, the one that Jesus loved, you know, that guy, me. So it's kind of interesting that John would just include that in his own kind of little account here. But uh, he goes on. So runs to Peter and the one who Jesus loved, just saying, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So, so look at the first response. What's the first assumption? She doesn't go to the empty tomb. <gasps> He's alive. It's a miracle. It's a mi-. No, what does she do? Someone stole the body. That's the assumption. Someone has moved the stone, knocked out the guards, took the body, and we don't know where Jesus' body is anymore. There is no assumption on the front end of the resurrection. Now, what's really interesting, Dr. Luke gives us a little extra in here. He says, but the men in the room, they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Like, oh, you, you must have gone to the wrong tomb. There were Roman guards in front of it. There's no way that someone snuck in there and stole this body in the middle of the night. Like, man, you, you must be, del- it's been an exhausting weekend. You're probably in shock. There's no way. And so they just totally think that there's this nonsense. Now, let's go to John 20. Let me show you how John continues this story. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Now, I don't know how this played out, but I imagine, you know, kind of these moments, like they're all hiding, by the way, because they're scared for their life, still in the city, trying to figure out how to get out. Mary comes back, where's the body? And I imagine, you know, Peter kind of puffs his chest up, and he's like, all right, you ladies just hang out for a second. We're going to go figure out what's going on. He's going to go get to the bottom of this. And so then they kind of, you know, probably leave kind of cool and casual and calm. But then in verse 4, both started running, <laughs> So I kind of I imagine like the events playing forward, like of uh, what's going on in their mind. Like, like they, they haven't connected the dots yet, but I love this. Both are running, but the other disciple outran Peter because that's important information for you to know, right? <laughs> that John, I, I mean, when you think about the historical accounts of like, you're like, man, no one would make this stuff up. Like this is just, why would you include that, John? So both are running and the other disciple outran Peter, just in case you're wondering, and he reached the tomb first, okay, because it matters. And, and he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. So he shows it to the scene, and it's not a mess, right? It wasn't this panicked, really quick, steal a body, the kind of the linens around Jesus' body, they're set orderly in place, which is just kind of a strange scene if this was like a, let's steal the body and get out of there. Then Simon, P- Simon Peter came along behind him, just in case you were wondering when he showed up, a little, little slower in this race, and went straight into the tomb. Kind of Peter's personality goes on. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And that cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. So it was very orderly. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, because just in case you forgot that one, He also went inside, and he saw, and he believed. He saw, and he believed. Began to remember some of the words of Jesus. So John, the one who Jesus loved, in case he would want you to remember that, right? John, 
kind of records this moment. And, and it's interesting because in other places it actually records that, that Peter walks away not believing in a resurrection, but actually thoroughly confused. They leave this moment wondering what had happened. And then later, after the events of this weekend, they would encounter Jesus, hundreds of eyewitnesses over the course of quite a few weeks, would encounter Jesus very much alive. And what we see is a bunch of disillusioned followers of Jesus begin to re-engage, not because, this is so important, friends, not because of what they were taught, not even because of what they believed, but because of something that they saw. You see, something happened that changed everything for everyone in this moment and for everyone on the planet. And suddenly, all of these things about Jesus start to make sense in light of the events of the weekend. And as people re-engage, they're still processing and figuring it out. But I, I need you to track with me. The resurrection of Jesus is not a Bible story. It is the story that is influential on every part of human history from this point on. And one of the questions you and I have to ask is how did Jesus and his teachings and the church and this movement survive the first century? And the only logical explanation was that there really was a resurrection. But also it resolves this personal tension, maybe a personal mystery that you and I sometimes struggle with. How can you know where you stand with God? How can I know where I stand with God? How, like, how, how does God view me? How does God feel about me? And this same John, the one who Jesus loved, in case you forgot, okay, that same John tells us earlier in his writings, in John 3.16, you might know this passage, you might not. John tells us, this is how God feels about you. For God so loved the world, not tolerated, but loved, that he demonstrated that love, not just in a wishful thinking, but that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes, as in anyone, no matter where they find themselves in relation to this God that loves them, whoever believes, puts their trust in, puts their weight in who he says he is, in him shall not perish, it's an interesting word, shall not be lost to God, but have eternal life. Which I don't know your theology, your kind of background, when you hear a word like eternal life, what are we talking about? Jesus definitely spoke about life after this one, that he had de defeated death and sin and the enemy, the devil, absolutely. But Jesus gave the definition. He says, this is eternal life. Not that you go to heaven when you die, but that you know God intimately, relationally. That was Jesus' definition. But then Jesus doesn't stop there because this is really, really important. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Listen, I don't know what versions of Christianity and following Jesus you have been exposed to. I don't know what you've heard and what you've been around and how you've experienced other people. But from John, the one who Jesus loved, he recalls that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world through him. That's God's heart. That's God's posture to everyone in this room, to everyone on the planet, 
And so maybe even in spite of what you've heard and experienced, Jesus gives us a compelling reason to trust, to believe, to follow. And my only hope today is that you and I can experience and receive the love of God. So here's the reality. God has done something for you because God is for you. He wants you to receive and respond to this good news, friends. And I was 15 years old when I came face to face with this reality, and it changed everything for me. And so the invitation is to face and embrace a new reality, that God loves you and I, that Jesus died in our place for our brokenness, or what the scripture authors would call sin, the very familiar brokenness that you and I experience in the world around us and inside of us. Jesus died for all of that, not only to extend forgiveness, but then to extend power to make us new. He rose again. This is so important. In Jesus' resurrection, not only is he proving that he was who he said he was, but also that he can do in our lives what he said he would do. So listen, all of Jesus' claims, we we can work the logic backwards. If I can trust in Jesus in the resurrection, I can trust him over here in maybe some of the harder things. What about this? What about this? What about this? And there's totally tons of grace for the whatabouts and the doubts in following Jesus. So all of Jesus' claims to forgive sin, to make us new, to bring us back into relationship with God, to give us life and hope now and forever, all of those can find confidence in Jesus and his resurrection. Because if Jesus is reliable here, he's reliable everywhere else. That's the logic we follow. We can work it backwards into all of the hard stuff. And the beautiful thing is that every single person is invited to respond to this good news. And when Jesus extended that invitation, it wasn't just like an invitation to believe better, like rearrange the mental furniture in your mind, kind of get a set of you know, core doctrines around your, around your noggin and like, cool, check, now you're in. Jesus' invitation was to believe or to trust in him, but also he used this word repent, which sometimes you and I, if you've heard that word, it like kind of makes you uncomfortable, but it literally means to change the way that you think, that it gets down into your bones, that it alters our entire life. And so it's not believe harder, behave better, and hopefully Jesus likes you. It's way better than that. And I think a really beautiful way to demonstrate it as we close our time is how John Mark Homer sums it up in this definition. He says, this is Jesus' invitation to rethink, to simply rethink, be open to everything that you think you know about who God is, who you are, and what the good life you actually crave, I'm sorry, is, I'm sorry, the good life you crave actually is, to put your trust and confidence in Jesus to heal you, to save you, to free you, and lead you into the life that you ache for. That, friends, is the invitation of Jesus. That is the good news from Jesus, and it's extended to every single one of you. Now, hear me. Maybe today you're in a position, in a place, where your heart is responding deeply and swelling like, that's what I've been missing. That's where I was at 15. That's what I've been missing. I've been looking for things everywhere else, and everything I've been looking for is actually right here in Jesus. And if that's you today, the simple invitation is to respond and to put your weight or your trust in Jesus today. It's a beautiful, beautiful opportunity. 
For some of you, you're still wrestling with your spiritual journey. I want you to know this community is here for you. You're loved, safe, and welcome no matter where you are on your spiritual journey. There's room for all of the hard questions and all of the processing, and there's no just believe a little harder and don't ask questions here. And so wherever, wherever you find yourself on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome to continue to engage. And the beautiful news today, like Ethan shared in his video, is as you and I process where we stand with God, God has already decided where he's going to stand with you. And so God was pursuing Ethan way before Ethan was aware of it, and the same is true for you in the room. I hope you find confidence in that as well, that you are loved sitting right where you are, and there's so much more for you when you connect your life to Jesus. Let me pray for us. If you bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Um, this is just a moment of privacy, okay? So if you're newer to church, this is not a super spiritual moment. This is just a moment where we kind of center and reflect our hearts and minds on maybe what God is doing in our own hearts today. So there's kind of removing distraction from the room, get a little bit quiet in our own hearts and minds, and I just want to invite the Holy Spirit. Would you lead us to respond today? For any of my friends in the room who have not taken a step of faith to trust in you, would they trust in you today for new life, for forgiveness, and a relationship with you that changes everything from now on? For those of us that have been following you, and maybe sometimes following you is challenging, maybe we've we walked away from the church, we stayed away from the church, we've had some really poor experiences that, that cause us to question the church up against Jesus, maybe we're more for Jesus than we are his church. God, would you begin to heal some of those hurts? And maybe you're in the room today and you've experienced things that don't necessarily line up with what Jesus came to extend. Maybe you did feel condemned and unloved. And I'd like to extend an apology because that's not the Jesus that John knew. That's not the Jesus that we know. And so, Jesus, would you bring healing to our hearts, maybe in the negative experiences? Some of us are going through some really hard times, and we need hope. And we're going through loss and uncertainty and anxiety. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us in this space. As we sing these next two songs, as we respond, would you lead us to listen to you, kind of let our walls down, and take a next step? It's in Jesus' name. Amen.